listening to the Village Church Podcast Show. Okay, welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show. My name is Mark Clark. I am your host, and I am here uh, with Julie Beck and my wonderful wife, Erin. Say hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. All right. Thank you for being here. Thanks Uh, for having us. Yeah, we're doing a show today on uh, marriage and parenting and uh, anxiety and stress and the kinds of things that we all work through in life. And we're talking to Julie because Julie is a counselor. Uh, I'm going to read you Julie's bio uh, so that you understand who she is. And then we want to hear a little bit about um, really what you deal with uh, in your day-to-day work uh, as a counselor. Uh, Julie has been counseling men and women and couples and families and teens and children for over 20 years in three provinces. You lived a little bit in Toronto, which is uh, us as well, so rock on. Uh, She has a degree in health studies and a master's of social work. She has experience in couples therapy, marital satisfaction. You did a thesis and research at the University of Toronto. How long do you live in Toronto? We were there in Toronto for about eight years. Eight years, okay. And so you uh, you were at U of T and yep. uh, did a thesis on uh, marital satisfaction and couples therapy. Uh, uh, psychiatry at the univers- at uh, Toronto General Hospital, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, Women's College Hospital, uh, dealing with families of critical illness and newborns, child protection. Uh, you develop uh, programs for eating disorders, um, creating and delivering health tips for radio slash broadcasting, employee health and wellness. Uh, you have a private practice in South Surrey. You speak, you write, you consult. So you've been doing counseling for over 20 years. Um, so you're a great person to talk to as we delve into uh, just the issues of, of life. We, um, we have you at our church, so many people uh, say, man, the things that Julie has counseled us through, the, the things that she speaks about uh, are really helpful and practical. So we wanted to sit with you uh, for an hour and just talk about uh, how, do we, um, how do we deal with anxiety, stress, parenting, dating, um, uh, lot, lots of questions that I hear from people constantly in my counseling uh, as a pastor and, uh, and really delve into it with you. So thanks for, thanks for doing this and giving your time to do this. Um, one of the big things that we'll start really kind of 30,000 feet. One of the issues that you deal with in counseling is kind of the general idea of people who just lose track in life. Um, they come to you, uh, they're just completely off the rails of everything they wanted to do and be. Um, so what, what do you find when you're sitting down with those people after 20 years of counseling and Aaron, just feel free during this whole conversation. Uh, I wanted Aaron here to be able to jump in from her angle, uh, speaking as a woman and speaking as a mother and a wife, because sometimes I don't have that frame of mind. <laughs> uh, I ask different kinds of questions. So, um, I want to be able to cover that off. Um, but as you're sitting with people and you're doing counseling in general with them, what are, what are two or three or four of the things that you see after 20 years here are the major things of the reasons people are coming to meet with me, why their life has just completely got off track. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I have to say that the the people that I work with, I get to work with, are amazing. They are, you know, a lot like us, and they're just living life, and uh, somewhere along the line, they get stuck. Um, and it's usually life stressors that just kind of pile on top of each sure. other, and uh, it gets hard to navigate or, you know, work their way out of that. Mm-hmm. So that's where... Um, I have the privilege of, of helping with them. So they're normal people. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Everybody <laughs> yeah, listening absolutely. to this podcast could potentially be, yeah. And I can see exactly how they got there. Yeah. yeah. So how? Well, I think uh, one of the themes that I see is, uh, or one of the trends is that sometimes people don't get the opportunity to really know themselves. Mm-hmm. 
maybe they came from a family that didn't help them out with that mm-hmm. um, and didn't nurture their personality. And so um, they start life not really knowing what they value right. and what their priorities are. And then they get caught up in life. You know, maybe they fall into a relationship or fall into a job. And a couple of years down the road, they're like, what? Like, this is not for me. And they're feeling very unhappy, unfulfilled. And so, you know, I'm helping them work through that. But it, it stems back to values, priorities. Is it okay to uh, be working a job and to be unsatisfied? Like, you know, we talk about like the, the last generation that would work a job at IBM for 40 years and it wasn't about satisfaction of their soul. It was about putting food on the table. We're beyond that now. Uh, so when you counsel these people, do you ever look at them and say, you need to quit your job and go find a job that satisfies your soul? Uh, or do you go, look, suck it up. You got to put food on the table. What do you, what do you do in those scenarios? Well, I, I deal with both, right? So I deal with people who do not have the opportunity to switch jobs. They yeah. may have f- four kids and they simply do not have the opportunity sure. to go back to school or retrain or whatever. So we look for ways to make work more enjoyable. Uh, that could be reframing the way they look at things, not allowing certain difficult people to annoy them to the degree that they do, <laughs> right. uh, avoiding stressors that they can avoid. Sure. Um, people who do have the opportunity to, uh, it might even be staying with an organization, but switching roles. Yeah. Often that, they just need to tweak what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love helping them with that um, because I, I really feel that we all have unique personalities and gifts and talents. And if you can funnel yourself in that area, sure. you're, you're, you know, you're, you're smoking. You can just kill it, right? right. Um, and if you're not, it can really drain your energy and stress you out. So, um, and then for other people, they need to switch careers. So I've done career assessments, personality assessments, and it's very helpful. I think everybody should get the opportunity if Mm -hmm. they can to do it. What would be a resource for that? Is there a website or something they can go on? Uh, There are different um, personality assessments. Sure. um, True colors. Yeah, career assessment. Um, It all depends. Okay. um, Specifically, like I use different assessments for different reasons. Right. Uh, there are general personality assessments like True Colors, Myers-Briggs yep. that can be helpful. Sure. Um, even I know them inside out and even I go back to them. Yeah, totally. It might be something that is uh, stressing me out and I go back to it and I go, ah, right. that's why. Right. Because okay. this is who I am. So you deal with a lot of anxiety. People come in, they're totally stressed. Talk about uh, how people can cope with uh, the anxiety and the stressors of life and what caused, generally speaking in your practice, what are you seeing? is causing this mass amount of anxiety and stress in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, different factors impact um, our stress and even cause anxiety, uh, such as your family background, uh, your personality, those can predispose you to uh, anxiety. Your coping skills that you've developed through childhood and into adulthood, how many stressful life events you've had, uh, how you perceive those stressful life events and the social support that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are the, you talked to me a little bit about um, the, the, the high percentage of people that you're um, talking with, husbands, wives, as you do counseling. You're seeing a lot of some of the same things. What are, what are some of the major, when people come in for marriage counseling, what are three or four of the things that you're seeing over and over and over again? And then how do you speak into those things? What I see is partners 
wanting to change their partner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first thing that I really try to help them understand is you can't change someone else. Right. Can't change someone, someone else at work. You can't change, you know, your partner. Um, and so how do you work with that? Right. Yeah, right. that's probably the biggest right. thing. Okay. What about, um, uh, you talked to me a little bit about what guys are experiencing, uh, some of the the addictions, the the proclivities they're having um, toward gaming, pornography, that kind of stuff. What, how, when you're meeting with couples and you're seeing a lot of that stuff, how you how do you help them through it? This is a really really difficult issue. Um, you know, it's absolutely shocking to a spouse. You know, um, and just completely you know blindsides them, and they don't know how to deal with it, and uh, they don't want you know, their family to disintegrate. They love their, their partner, their spouse, and they, you know, don't want the children to be affected. And so we look at ways, a lot of it depends on whether their spouse is completely in denial or they are willing to look at their addiction and get some help and deal with it. That's the critical piece. Right. And so have you seen, give us some hope, uh, have you seen couples that come in, the husband is addicted to this or this, or this, or the wife's addicted to this, and you work with them and you see restoration and healing? Absolutely. I think the big thing is committing to a process. Right. Uh, men love to sweep things under the table and say, you know, yeah, I did this, um, but I'm better now and let's just move on. Right. And women cannot do that. They cannot let it go. And if men can commit to a process with them, then it won't come back to bite them down the road right. uh, because women hang on to things. Uh, women, uh, resentment can build mm -hmm. and fear and anxiety. And so if they can just deal with it all and hash it out and their marriage can be stronger than ever. We'll come back to talk more about marriages and the weaknesses and the strengths of marriages. Um, let me ask, uh, let me shift gears. So we're talking kind of, we've talked generally about people who come to you for counseling. We'll hit marriage and parenting in a little bit. Uh, shift gears to the dating world. Uh, one of the things you do is think through uh, what are healthy practices for people who are young adult, single, single again in life, whatever it is, and they're looking for a mate. Um, what is some of the counsel that you've given over the years in regard to people who are men, women looking for, you know, I get questions all the time at village, you know, why, why don't you give us, you know, a singles ministry and why don't you get us all in a room so we can all hang out and we're all single and we're looking at each other, you know, so people are, and you know, we do our best and try to figure out how to do that sustainably. Um, but, but what, what are people, what, what's some advice for people that you would have for single people? looking to start dating, get married? What are the things you're telling people? Absolutely. Um, I tell them dating is shopping. If right. it's not the right fit, <laughs> uh, you'd be dumb to buy it unless you're a seamstress. And uh, if you know anything about seamstresses, even they hate altering, right? right? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, take your time getting to know that person. Uh, how do they act over the long term? Anybody can put their best foot forward or be fake, put on a facade for a month. Um, and so seek wise counsel from family and friends. Do they have good relationships with their friends and family? That says a lot about them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a big thing. Is what they say congruent with their actions or are they achieving the goals that they've told right. you that there were, you know, they want in life right. or are they doing nothing right. to achieve those goals? And I think the hard thing is many of the single people I see 
doesn't matter really what age, are dying to be in a relationship. And uh, I always tell them, you know, a relationship won't make you happy. Mm. I see a lot of unhappy couples um, when they come to me. You have to be a happy and content person and have a full life Mm -hmm. of your own first. Then you'll be a catch for somebody and you'll attract the same kind of person. Another thing, never ditch your friends. (laughs) Um, They won't appreciate it and whoever you're with will not find it attractive. And I see people probably often, this is the big thing, they compromise um, and start dating someone because they're either lonely They want to feel loved. They want some companionship and are settling because they're scared. They're scared they're never going to find someone. The problem with this, particularly for women, is when you date someone you know, you know right out of the gate is not marriage material, and after several months or even years, you become frustrated and sometimes disrespected, and they're not meeting your needs. But you knew full well that they didn't have those certain qualities that are important to you. And then you're blamed for being critical and difficult to please. And then you're in my office because the relationship failed. And you're blaming yourself and you need to figure out where you went wrong and work on your self-esteem. I see it all the time. And one thing that I find is that many couples, when they start a relationship with the blocking out of friends and families, is then it opens up where it's so inclusive with just the two of you that... You're not allowing people to speak into your life. Absolutely. And listening to those voices of sometimes reason. And I've seen so many times where people, they're told this isn't a good fit, this isn't a good fit, and then they get married. And then within a year, unfortunately, it's imploded. Yeah, it's pretty evident. Is that yeah. what people were saying when you started dating me? <laughs> what are you thinking? That might have happened. What that might have happened. Guy? But we went through so, wise counsel. So Julie is married uh, to Mark, has three wonderful kids. Um, mm-hmm. Julie, t- tell us, what, so what, what did you do when you started dating Mark? And how, did you take your own advice? How long did you guys date? How long have you been married? How long? Well, we were older. Right. So we were, I think, 29, 30. Yeah. And um, I'm not good with dates. Right. And what's your anniversary? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, April 10th. Right. So um, basically, we were at a point in our lives where we knew exactly what we wanted. We knew the qualities that we were looking for in sure. a partner. And so when we met, uh, it didn't take long. Right. It was funny. It's because... Not a surprise. You're both very driven people. Very driven. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me that you both had you your a list. list. Both had a list. <laughs> well, he kind of laid it down what he, you know, like. At, on the second date, you know, if this <laughs> continues, I want to marry you, blah, blah, blah. Right. I want you to meet my family. And his friend said, you're crazy. Right. She is going to run for the hills. Sure. But I was ready. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's all good. about a fit, right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's not about right and wrong. It's right. about So how fit. long did you date? Uh, we dated for a year. Okay. Yeah. And within that time, we were engaged. Right. Yeah. And families were, were okay with it. And, Two thumbs up. Right. Everybody right. was. And actually, my mother knew when she met him and saw the way I was. Sure. She knew that I was in love. Right. So I do uh, uh, premarital counseling with people, and uh, we go through 12 kind of uh, communication, sex, conflict, money. Um, and oftentimes I'll do that for four months with people and marry them, and then a year later they're in my office and they're falling apart. Christians, um, so usually haven't had sex. They're you know they've saved themselves. They've done all the quote unquote right things, 
they get married and then they're sitting there saying, why isn't God blessing this? We, there's no connection point. Uh, so kind of shifting now, kind of bridging from dating to marriage. Um, they're sitting, uh, talking to me about, um, you know, we had all these expectations and uh, my spouse isn't meeting them. She's not meeting my sexual expectations or he's not meeting them. Uh, we don't talk as much as we thought. It's, it's different. It's like I married one person, we got married and they changed. So what, what do you do? I mean, I find people are, you know, some people are just divorcing. Like just, we're not even a year or two in. So you're facing a situation like that. Uh, what, what do we, how do we counsel people who are sitting there right now? Maybe they're married for a year, maybe 20. And they're sitting there going, um, man, there's just a big disconnect here. And obviously there's a plethora of reasons why. So you got to dig into each individual case. But um, yeah, what are the, what are the, some of the common trends that you're finding? Well, there's a there's a kind of a trajectory in a marriage. You know, when you first meet, you're excited to be together. You you can't wait to be together. Secure the relationship. You're putting your best foot forward. You're looking at all the similar qualities that you have, um, and then you know you you get engaged, and then you get married, and then life starts. Yeah. The grind of life <laughs> starts, and problems are going to come up somewhere along the line. They look different, but they're going to happen for every couple. And that's the critical point where you either work together as a team or you don't and conflict happens and you lose trust in your partner. They didn't have your back or this or that. Um, Another really like just critical piece is the fact that men and women are wired so differently (laughs) and this gets played out so often, you know, I, I can really make a generalization here and there's, there are continuums. Uh, some women, uh, you know, are different and some men are different, but generally speaking, um, you know, women genuinely want to be intimate, particularly in the early stages of a relationship, but they quickly become distracted with children and juggling the demands of a career. If she has one, women are natural multitaskers. We're not linear thinkers. We don't compartmentalize the same way men can. And uh, so I often give the analogy from a book, you know, women are like spaghetti, men are like waffles. And uh, that really hits home for a lot of people. Okay, hold up, hold up. Let's unpack that. What does that mean? (laughs) Women have (laughs) everything. As someone who doesn't cook, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) Women have everything going on in their mind all at the same time. Mm -hmm. They have their to-do list, uh, their kids' emotions, uh, everything, their right. friendships, their mother. If they just had a fight with their mother, they can't turn around and have sex. Right. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. A man, right. a man, he can do that. <laughs> right. No problem. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, so how's you that know, like spaghetti? Well, we it's just have everything it's all okay, intermingled. Okay. I'm picturing one the waffle, I hard can't picture. strand of spaghetti going into a pot. So I have a different image. So <laughs> yeah. you're talking, a, whole, a plate of a cooked plate. spaghetti. A plate, a, a huge, massive See, plate. Is, you know. See, you can't so, track. He's no, a true so male. So what is a waffle? <laughs> so how's and a waffle? waffles have little compartments. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, basically, you know, men have their work compartment yes. they mm-hmm. have their family compartment yes. they have their sex compartment which yeah. is like the large square right, the of the waffle the now i'm hungry <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's all i'm thinking and uh you know i'll give you an example yeah. i have two girls and a boy and i can give my girls multiple in- instructions at once great and kids by the way these oh, are these oh are kids. my goodness top notch yeah and that's why i want to get to parenting in a couple minutes you've succeeded at uh at, at three children uh who who are great and so we got to figure out how to do that 
because we want to do that. Yeah, they love God. They love to serve. They're, they, they're great. They have kids. such great hearts. So we got to get. Yeah, we'll we're get back to that. that. Anyway, sorry. So. So you you get so you tell them different things. Go ahead. Yeah, I could be telling my um, my girls to do something and give them numerous instructions all yep. at once. Done. <laughs> my son, uh, you know, I could be listing it off, and he literally he'll be holding his ears or and his head in pain, <laughs> right. saying, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait, right. one thing at a time." One thing at a time. That was and, me last uh, yeah. night. Yeah, pretty Aaron, much. <laughs> right. Aaron said, "Go downstairs. I need you to move this from the dryer to the washer." Do you hang it here, do this, lock that. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on. Whoa. I'm going to go move that from the wash to the dry and come back. Because what you just said was a strategy. You know, it was, a it was the most basic strategy. of instructions. Everything was for in the laundry room. My mind was blown. I couldn't. And, there was, and, it, and one of the problems, to be honest, if I'm speaking from the guys here, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little surrounded. But um, I feel like uh, sometimes you don't fill in the gaps. So you, you make a lot of assumptions about details. Oh, my so husband like, says this, that this, all this, the time. And I'm like, wait, there's like four different things that could happen if I go down and do that that you haven't told me how to how to deal with. You know, troubleshoot. You haven't get, you filled in the details you, because in your brain, it's just like it's so yes, – you do it every, every day. day. I will say, yeah. Mark, you so, are so dumb. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. Right, right. Smartest, dumbest man so, I Yeah, so it's uh, – you know, if I was speaking from a guy's standpoint, ladies, don't assume. You got to fill in the details. Treat not not to treat men like children or like we're dumb or something. That's kind of the classic sitcom scenario, which I mm -hmm. don't think is true. Berenstein Bears. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Berenstein Bears. Every it's like the father's always dumb and he's with the kids and the mom's always a good one. And I always complain. And Aaron's <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of what just happened in the van ten minutes ago. And it goes back um, to this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but so fill in the details a little bit for us. Like, don't assume we know all these. So. Uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. So beyond, so you're, you're talking to your kids. Yeah, your boy can kind of, he freaks out, but your girls can handle it. I'll even, you know, hear my husband say, you think you told me that, but right. you didn't. Right. And I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't. Or, or it was in your head. Yeah. But totally. like, that you makes didn't. me feel like, I'm like, you're making me think like I'm crazy. Yeah. I know I told you this. Yeah, but you did. So yeah, I started tracking, making notes. You know, yeah. <laughs> Evidence. Go, Let's play it back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, research shows that women um, typically are the first to become unhappy mm -hmm. with something in the marriage. Sure. And I think part of it is because we're very relational and we think about relationships more um, and everything is interconnected. And so typically the first thing that goes for them is a desire for sex. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even physiologically, they, you know, are wired with a lower sex drive. And I'm generalizing, but I see it over and yeah. over and over. So if anything's going wrong, it's out the door. Right. And um, when she withholds sex, he shuts down because it's really a part of how he expresses his love for his wife is by making love to her. And women don't realize this. How do they have Absolutely. sex more with their husband when they're completely emotionally detached and drained and tired? What do you do? How? I think that um, basically women can use their strength and their female weapon. Uh, they Women underestimate how powerful they are and how much they can influence a relationship. Mm -hmm. And often they give that up by complaining and nagging right. and all of that. And, and again, I don't want to generalize, but I, I do see a lot of this. Yeah. And if they can show appreciation and praise mm -hmm. when their husband does something right mm -hmm. or that 
they like, chances are he'll do more of it. And women also assume that men know what they want. Spell it out. Spell it out. Tell them what you like. Tell Mm -hmm. them what you don't like. Mm -hmm. Tell them what you like in bed. Mm -hmm. Help them. Mm -hmm. Don't expect them to read your mind. They need the help. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they don't operate like women. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you do counsel women to, hey, get, get more in the game and it's going to help you emotionally connect to your husband more. And do you find that they do it? Yeah. What are some practical things for that, that you, that you tell them? Is it, do you put them on a schedule? (laughs) Like if it doesn't happen by this time, initiate, how do you practically get them to move forward and having more sex with their husband and actually get to a point where they enjoy it and can Mm-hmm. decompress with it rather than just kind of mailing it in yeah for sure you know a lot of um families are incredibly busy mm-hmm. you see right. you know um work you know double income um couples and you know they're running kids off to daycare school getting to work there's a lot of work pressures deadlines they get home yep. exhausted she's getting dinner on the table yep. he comes home and, you know, get the kids, you know, have supper, get the kids bathed, read books, and go do a couple loads of laundry, check your emails, boom, right, the day's, done. you know, yeah. done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it, yeah, for couples with children and working and mm-hmm. busyness, um, you have to schedule it. And it's helpful for women because you mentally can start to kind of frame that and plan for it. Right. A lot of people think that sex has to be spontaneous. That's Hollywood. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, really, it's okay to plan it. It's good to get away if you can right. as a couple. And remember, you're a couple. Yeah. And um, so allow you... children to just, um, you know, not dictate everything. Sure. You just lock your door and say seven o'clock on Friday nights we're off. I have often um, recommended to people, you know, there's there's some uh, couples who one of the spouses literally sleeps with their child all the time. Yeah. Well, that's not helpful. So get back into bed, and I help them teach their children to sleep on their own. Um, I will um, have them maybe put if their kids are little bump up the bedtime so that they have an extra hour yes. and they can just sit and talk and communicate and carve yeah. that time out right. and then make love. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, in the book, I talk about a goal and I just kind of pull it out of the air of twice a week, um, trying to have sex twice a week. Uh, and I quote Martin Luther uh, <laughs> and he says that staves off the tempter, right? Uh, the idea of frequency, uh, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, make sure you're coming together regularly uh, to make sure that you're not tempted toward other people. Um, not that you have to agree with that, but uh, do you do you get that specific with couples and say, okay, yes. we're shooting for twice a week or once yes. a week or whatever? And is that generally a good goal, once or twice a week? Is that something you counsel? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it sounds like not a lot to a guy. Actually, uh, it's like, okay, what, like, uh, like, because I mean, in premarital counseling, I asked them, how many times do you think you're gonna have sex? And the girl says probably five or six yeah. a week. Oh, for sure. At the and beginning, they're like, but sure. that's pretty low. And I'm, and they laugh and I, and I laugh usually at that point <laughs> because I say, you guys have no clue what's going to happen in the next year. Like yeah. you're, you know, so, uh, so once or twice a week, generally speaking, you would say, let's, let's shoot for that. And we're all probably going to be, the and- guys are going to be happier and healthier. Yeah, and I really like what you wrote uh, in your book. Um, just that, you know, a big thing for men too is to for them to feel like you want it. 
Um, if yes. you know, if they feel right. that you are just doing this completely to appease them, right. that that's a big hit to their yeah, ego. Time, yeah. And again, this like you have to wrap your head around how a man thinks, mm -hmm. and he thinks she doesn't want me. We're rejecting the sex, right. but he feels yeah, like she's ego, actually yeah. rejecting me yeah. and my love. Right. And so it's helpful to kind of think about it that yes. way. Yeah. But you did kind of cover that, you know, it doesn't always have to be this mad, crazy, hot, passionate, right. yes. spontaneous sex right, either. Right, right, right. And so there's a variety, right? And it so, is okay from a guy's perspective, from the, from the most of the guys that I talk to, that it sometimes on that note is okay to just, hey, carve out eight minutes for sure. before we go out totally. and the kids are running around, lock the bathroom door have a quickie, and yep. go and quickie. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be, like you said, a, a two hour jaunt with wine by the fire. So you put a great tone on the night. Yeah. Exactly. And for the guy, it's like, that was good. And then they can clear their head and literally it clears their head and they're healthier and they're happier in a way that women can't probably, I, I'm trying to figure out, I don't know if, an analogy of like for women what is that thing well one thing too when you look at physiology men physiologically have a need for release yeah every 24 right. to 48 hours right. and like if you if you that. realize that right <laughs> yeah. that can be yeah. helpful yeah. and you can literally see the stress kind of like building up like their eyeballs are going to pop out yeah. right after, you know true. after it's day so four and wow. they yeah. can't even like talk right. about stuff it's right. just and so it's it, it, it it's all wired it's all yeah and yeah. so uh, yeah, that's think, good yeah. i think part yeah. of what martin luther was saying too wasn't just the temptation of an adultery, mm -hmm. adultery mm -hmm. of an affair mm -hmm. But the temptation to get be angry, to disconnect yeah, as a sure. couple, there's so many variations that go into that. Totally. Where yeah. that once or twice a week actually keeps you connected. It yeah. does. So as a couple. It does. And if men on the flip side, and you covered this in your book, if they can help relieve her stress and her mm -hmm. anxiety sure. yes. and help her to get, because women are distracted, that's their main thing. Right. They have a lower sex drive and they're easily distracted by other things, right. children, work, uh, to-do list. So if men can help them, mm -hmm. maybe in the evening or on the weekend, to cover off some of that stuff, mm -hmm. then hopefully she will appreciate that and make an effort right. in that yeah. area as yeah. well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. A lot of couples uh, in churches, outside of churches, deal with uh, adultery. Talk about how does that actually end up happening to a couple? Um, you know, people think it's just all of a sudden out of nowhere. I saw a girl on a bus and all of a sudden I was sleeping with her. Uh, what are the things that kind of lead up to that so that we can protect ourselves from it? And then if it's happened, how do we, how do we get through it? Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens by opening a small door yeah. and then another door. Right. And it just, um, might be talking to someone at work and sharing a little bit emotionally that is just something that you should be sharing with your spouse and not your coworker. Mm -hmm. um, it could be things like working late on a project together and then you're going to grab dinner and then you start chatting and you just end up connecting with that person more than you're connecting with your spouse. Right. And I think there's certain safeguards that have to be in place because as much as you think you love your partner, there are gonna be, there are gonna be times in life where you have stress mm -hmm. and where maybe you don't relate 
Maybe you're off on mat leave and you're home with the kids and he's working long hours and he feels like you don't get what I have to do. And she feels like you don't get what I have to do. And all of a sudden that coworker gets it, right? Because you're seeing them at their best all the time. You're (laughs) not, yeah, yeah, of course. Or in a way you can relate to at that particular time in your life. Yeah. I find also there tends to be this weird comparison world. Like when I talk to uh, guys or, or girls where... Uh, well, this person I used to date, you know, if I would have married someone like that and it's like, you're comparing to a, a, a situation 20 years ago, or you're, you're not, you know, people have this kind of idealistic mindset that they're comparing their present marriage to, um, which can become dangerous. Then I would question why didn't they marry that other person? Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that other person isn't who they used to be either. So don't, yeah. you know, that can be, that can be dangerous. So, uh, when couples come to you and they've, they, one of them is you know, commit adultery. Uh, what do you do? How do you get them through it? And I just want to say comparison yeah. is probably one of the quickest ways to make yourself miserable Yeah, totally. in any context. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what do I... Yeah, how do you get couples through uh, when there's been an affair of some at some level and how do you, what do you do? How do you you know, usually one person want the, the, the person who engaged in the affair if they get caught or if they disclose it, they typically want to minimize it. Uh, they want to brush it under sure. the rug and um, they want to move on. You know, if they're sorry and they, you know, let's get back on track. Right. It's very difficult for them to talk about it because they feel guilty. They feel horrible. They don't want to disclose all of the things they did right. and, you know, add to the hurt mm-hmm. to their partner. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes there's ambivalence, you know, they, they so have feelings for question. the other person and they still love their wife and their kids. And do you, there's actually a debate, I think, within counseling, um, where if someone has committed adultery and they go to the spouse, if the spouse isn't saying, give me all the details, if they're fine, just knowing kind of it happened, some counselors say, don't tell them all the details because it's going to mess with their brain. And then others say, no, you got to unpack it all, get all the truth out there because the truth will set you free kind of thing. What do you usually do? If they're sitting there in front of you, do you say, you got to tell her everything. Don't leave anything out or tell him everything, get everything out so that you can move on with your life or it's like enough details just to get the point across and then move on. What do you do? I rarely see partners not wanting the details. Yeah. It just seems to haunt them. And when they can discuss it as hurtful as it is and have some closure to it, um, you know, and even sometimes when they don't want to know it all at the time, they do a month later. It's bugging them. It's just really... So do you find the details is is freeing or does that start to haunt them too? It's very hurtful. Yeah. It's very, very hurtful because there's there's added layers of deceit. Yeah. Um, But if they can go through that process together... And, and their partner do whatever they need to do mm-hmm. to rebuild trust. It's all about rebuilding trust. Mm-hmm. And if you are unwilling to disclose certain things, right. then you're, you're often trying to hide something right. and you're not building trust. I do just want to say, I think couples need to commit to a process mm-hmm. that is guided by a professional when there's infidelity. Right. It's it's absolutely critical yeah. because it will come, it will manifest itself down the road sure. in different ways. And so if you can just commit to that process, mm-hmm. 
then you can rebuild and have an even more successful marriage than you had before. Mm-hmm. So yeah. no one should try to go without a counselor. No, no. And even well-meaning friends, mm-hmm. you know, their advice, they don't have the clinical background and experience, yeah. um, but th- there's a process that you need to follow. Yeah. And, um, you know, a counselor can do, do you that. see success in marriage? Can there be fruitful marriage after mm-hmm. an affair? It can be better. Because they no longer allow those intrusions right. into their marriage. They have those safeguards in place, right? right? Mm-hmm. And what kind of safeguards can we put in ahead so that that doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I think just never meeting alone mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, the opposite sex. Um, not having personal conversations or, you know, emotional types of conversations that you would typically share with your spouse that create an emotional connection. Um, you know, basically not letting people in on that deeper level, you know, deeper than a a work acquaintance or things like that, not getting too close and too personal. Coupled with making sure your own marriage is healthy. Nurturing your marriage. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's why the The emotional connection gets, if you're sitting there in a marriage where you're having sex 12 times a year. And you're hanging out with this person and you're like, all of a sudden that emotional, but if you have a good, healthy sex life, you tend to, or an emotional life and more than sex, but um, you tend to not then fantasize about that individual. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you feel that urge to kind of connect and you love that attention, you know, that they're giving you or the connection that you have, and then, you know, you, you enjoy the flirting, you have to stop and say to yourself, you know, I could be investing this energy in my marriage. And I really encourage couples to look at the long-term perspective of what are you potentially throwing away? The legacy, the memories, the traditions. And, you know, a lot of people, they love their spouse. Mm -hmm. It's just they become disconnected. And I, I often remind people, you know what, this happens to a lot of couples, you're normal, you're normal. This yeah, isn't just you totally. and you can totally work through this. Yeah. And they go, really? And I'm like, yeah. And, and they, it can be they, better on the other side of it. For sure. Through cross, But they think they're the only ones who yeah. are disconnected. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, this is no. your stage of life or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And you can absolutely yeah. get through this. And, yeah. and before you know, it leads to anything. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay, um, moving uh, from marriage now to the final thing we're going to talk about, which is parenting. Um, as we've said, you've raised three awesome kids who love Jesus, love serving, just love being good kids. Um, and we're parents uh, of three young ones, and there's lots of parents listening. Uh, and we want to see that success in our life. Um, we live in a, uh, an interesting world of technology, of uh, of internet porn and iPads and iPhones and uh, and abuses and I mean just so much that stresses us out as parents. Uh, we we hear one article that says do this, we read another article that says do that. <clears throat> so let's dig in a little bit to how we uh, how we raise good kids. Uh, tell us how we can have <laughs> successful kids that love God, love one another. You know, do all that. Just just unpack. I have to tell you a funny story. When my kids were your kid's age, um, maybe a little bit younger, uh, my mother-in-law was visiting and I had made homemade Play-Doh and was sitting at the little Ikea table and uh, she raised four kids and was an elementary teacher and all of her kids turned out wonderfully. And she looked at me and she said, Julie, I never played with 
my kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, like they played on their own or they played with each other or whatever. But, you know, exactly what you said, like we, things have shifted and there's this over-involvement and I'm not saying don't play with your kids. They need your love and affection and, you know, to play together, do activities together. Um, But there's this intensity. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, and, you know, you new moms are like reading all these books and, you know, we just used our common sense. And I was like, oh, (laughs) nice, (laughs) nice. It was all by the gut. But you know what? There was so much truth to that, that, you know, a lot of us don't have our mothers Mm -hmm. around, you know, we've moved or this or that. Or maybe sometimes you didn't come from a really nurturing family. So you're, you don't have that paradigm. Yeah. But there is common sense. Now we've got a lot of things going on in our society that are thrown at families to work against families. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to really be vigilant about anything, anything that intrudes Mm -hmm. in your marriage and your family. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, what's, what's, what are some of the reasons that the families are breaking down? It can be a lot of things. It can be, uh, work, working too much, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It can be uh, just volunteering with too many activities. It can be over-focus on children and all their activities. And, you know, one big pressure for a lot of parents, they know how competitive it is out there. Um, And, you know, just everything is, you know, up to several levels, right? And so they know that- You mean like sports and school or Just even, you know, career-wise to get into a good university and or a trade and to, you know, find a good career and to buy a house. It's so expensive and all of those things. And so parents understand that pressure and, you know, we're inclined to want to try to provide every opportunity for success for our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But- you know, we don't want them to be at the center of the universe, right? And we don't want to be micromanaging every single thing our kid does to the point where they never learn how to deal with any dysphoria or disappointment because then what happens is the minute they are on their own, they can't launch. Right. They either boomerang and they're back home or they have anxiety or depression in university or, yeah. uh, you know, suicidal ideation, yeah. things like that. So how young did you start like, uh, hey, chores, this, this is like, I got to start Two. raising up kids ready to launch. Two years Two old, years they old. had chores? Yeah. Sweet. I used to pull the dishwasher open right. and pull the garbage drawer out and they had to scrape their plates right into the dishwasher. It does not ever go in the sink. Right. And, uh, you know, I maybe lost a couple of spoons here and there <laughs> in the garbage, but, um, really I tried to start from, you know, day one yeah. and, um, it's just, I, I believe that people need to have a strong work ethic and, and um, it will serve you well in life. The, one of the best things I heard when I was 21 was life is hard, but when you're hard on yourself, life will become easier for you. And that just resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I've approached life is, mm-hmm. you know, if you really work hard and uh, then there will be payoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see time and time again moms who are so frazzled and overworked and they have preteens and teens at home that do absolutely nothing to contribute to the household and these moms are going crazy hmm. but it's because they didn't start it early they don't can use, they, they still don't... start then later absolutely it's never too late but you know i grew up with my best friend and there were three that's three sisters they would try on 10 outfits in the morning, throw them all in the laundry basket. <laughs> right. And their mom never stopped doing laundry. Right. 
And so again, I thought, you know what? Yeah. We're going to create so, a system where that doesn't right. happen. So yeah. there's a bit of Aaron, what you're saying is use your kids as a workforce, mm-hmm. uh, which is what people have been doing for thousands of years. Well, yeah. it's I mean, a the, sense you of were belonging. On the farm, yeah. And the reason you had eight kids is because you couldn't milk the cows and whatever. The kids were the workforce from four years old. Yeah. You're saying, we got a bunch of kids sitting around. They're not doing anything. Well, you now, you have a generation where you've got pre-adolescence, middle adolescence, and right. late adolescence, right? And people aren't launching till closer to 30. Yeah. So you, you got a whole decade there where they might not be contributing much at all in the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that needs to change. And it's good for them. Like, you can kill them with kindness. Yeah, yeah and totally. And That's spoil right. them. And um, really, you always have to think as a parent, how can I help them become self-sufficient, interdependent, productive adults? That's mm-hmm. always what the goal you have. So as parents, should, um, should my kids or my spouse be the priority? In your marriage? Mm-hmm. Definitely your spouse. Right. And the kids will benefit from that? Absolutely. Yeah. You're modeling a happens. healthy relationship. Right. But that's not what happens. Yeah. So often we shift our priority to the kids, especially wives. Yep. And it's easy to do, yeah. but I think we always have to have a long term perspective. You have to remember your kids, if mm-hmm. if you do everything well, they're going to move out. And what's going to be left? And you have to have that long-term perspective. And I think if you can go out on dates and get away periodically as a couple, Mm -hmm. it reminds you that you're a couple. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get that perspective back. And so it's important. One of the things that's a topic of conversation among parents is stuff like uh, technology. Um, uh, I want to ask you about that. Uh, But also uh, a whole philosophy around sleepovers. This is one of the things that is is a conversation mm-hmm. among people. Um, you know, I grew up sleeping over at everyone's house, having everyone sleep over at my house. We as uh, we we now have our kids at the stage where they're asking all the time, and we've been you know talking about it. Uh, what has been your philosophy with your kids in regard to sleepovers? Well, I'm not really keen on them, probably mm-hmm. for numerous reasons. Um, you know, I think you can get into trouble at any time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of kids in high school who go back to somebody's house and three, four o'clock in the afternoon, there's a lot going on, right? right? Yeah. And there's no parent around. So, you know, I don't think it, things sure. can just happen at during sleepovers. But often kids stay up way later than they need to stay up. And then they come home and they're absolutely exhausted and they're bears. And then you've got to deal with them. <laughs> right. Also, I think if they're in a situation that they don't feel comfortable with, it might be watching a movie that's, you know, they're uncomfortable with, it's scary or it's questionable, mm-hmm. they may not have the guts to, to say, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm not okay with this mm-hmm. and watch it and then, you know, it triggers anxiety, nightmares, whatever. Right. Sexual stuff. A lot of families have different rules or no rules yeah. around technology. I know kids who sleep with their iPads, Hmm. literally sleep with them. Hmm. Kids are texting till three o'clock in the morning. And so this is the kind of stuff that's happening. Are parents naive and just thinking they're, they're watching, you know, uh, whatever innocent shows. And maybe they are when they're younger. Maybe they are just watching Finding Nemo. But But you get to that habit where. Yeah. They're seeing stuff. They're. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
I think there's a combination of things, yeah. right? Um, you know, you also see sometimes where kids have older siblings, right? right. They're just exposed to things um, quicker. Sure. Um, and again, it doesn't mean bad things are happening, but I just think um, there is so much. I, I had to have this talk with my kids over the holidays and, and I've monitored their technology and social media like crazy. And again, it's a full-time job, 24 seven. Um, but these influences are coming at them all the time and it's hard. Like I didn't have to navigate this as a kid um, and it's hard for them and they need us as parents. Like that's our job. What it's age, our job. What age are they allowed in your opinion to, or what did you do, uh, to get a, f a phone, um, cell with data? Well, my daughter was probably one of the last kids, um, to get a phone, um, compared to her friends. Mm -hmm. And I could have, you know, had a lot of reasons. She's a type one diabetic and I could have said she needs it for emergency purposes. However, up until the end of grade seven, she was always around an adult and had access to a home phone or the adult's phone or whatever. There right. was not a lot of time off right. on their own. Right. Um, so, so how old was she? Uh, she would have been in grade eight okay. when she switched schools. Uh, they walk over a bridge right. and I don't want them waiting in a parking lot. Right. Um, you know, for 15 minutes, if I'm running late, I right. need to let them know, hey, I'm running, there's traffic. I don't want them walking over the bridge. Right. So what kind of rules and restrictions did you put on that? They're not allowed to have their phones or laptops in their bedroom or any other kind of remote areas. It's typically, you know, on the main floor. Right. One of the big things kids always say is, oh, I need my phone for my homework. Really? So I question that. We break that down. Show me, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it, again, it's just... <laughs> show me. <laughs> show me. <laughs> well, I can't think of it right now. Show but, me that right, assignment right. from Mr. So-and-so. Right, right, right. But, you know, they, they're, they're savvy. They're good, right? Yeah. Or, you know, they'll be doing their homework, but they're flipping to texting. Yeah. And, you know, I've had my, my daughter download uh, her own Instagram account on my husband's phone when we were at an event for our other right. one of our other children right, right so you know you again they're going to do things they have pressures i've had mm -hmm. one of my kids download uh you know a social media app that we talked about and said you know we're not okay with this and these are the reasons mm -hmm. but the pressure all mm -hmm. her friends mm -hmm. were on that particular you right. know and we talked about it and mm -hmm. she agreed mm -hmm. yeah okay i right. get it right. um you know it's hard but i get it mm -hmm. so when they're teenagers, you have to talk about the reasons, mm -hmm. right? And we, I always say, we have your back. Mm -hmm. We, this is our job and we have your back. Nobody loves you more than we do. So part of it is the difficulty to keep up with all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I assume maybe you're talking about Snapchat or something like that. Yep. So one of the reasons kids go to Snapchat, and Snapchat's now becoming more and more normative uh, across the board, is because... Uh, Facebook's being overrun by their parents, and <laughs> and so they're hiding. They're, they're gonna. For they're sure. always where one head gets cut off. There's gonna be four more that pop For up, sure. and they're gonna dodge and duck and weave. And we're not even gonna know. We're not gonna know the app anymore. You know. So how do we? That creates anxiety, unless we're all sitting around 24 hours a day googling every app on their phones, or whatever. So how do we get above it and teach them? You know, a character around. Look, I can't navigate every single app so let me give you principles of how to be a good human being and love jesus and not get you know 
Yeah, it can't be all rules-based. You've got to have, like, just constant open communication. You've got to know their friends. Um, And, you know, and you need to put it in the context of, um, you know, would you have this friend sitting at our dining room table? Mm -hmm. Would they be a part of our daily life, Mm -hmm. right? And that gets them thinking more critically. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, no, Mm -hmm. you know. Why do you have 300 friends? Do you know them all personally? Mm. Oh, no, they're friends of friends, blah, 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 right? right? And, you know, even just talking about, um, I want you to be current. I want you to be social, but I don't want you to be dumbed down. And we had this conversation Mm. over Christmas. You know, I don't want, you know, the main uh, method of news is, you know, oh, Sharkeisha or, you know, there was a fire and ain't nobody got time for that. And that's the only news you know, right? right? And so... They right. get it. They right. get it. But it's this constant communication and you can't control everything. Right. Um, you know, your friends can be, your kids can be walking home with their friends mm. and their kids have their phone and they have no parental controls on them and they can be viewing whatever they want. Yeah. And so you have to teach your kids right. to think critically and to have their own. You want to move from extrinsic motivation, which is like rewards and punishments, to intrinsic motivation. You want them to be intrinsically motivated to do the right thing. Right. So you haven't just set up your kids um, security-wise with rules or boundaries, but you've also set them up with boundaries so that they can be socially a part of where they're at as far as their phones go. What have you done? Well, this is something that happened when my daughter was in grade six that really just bugged me. And... uh, they, they had a couple of teenage coaches who would walk in late on their cell phones texting. Their boyfriend would come in and use half the court to shoot hoops. And they would never communicate a location change, anything to parents. And I was like, you know what? You guys are communicating all day long and you can't communicate with adults to save your life. Mm-hmm. This is pathetic, right? And so... I've just had this thing that um, I want them to be able to communicate and communicate with adults, with kids, with grandparents, whatever. And um, I just have a beef with going to pick them up from school or lessons and them sitting in the car on their phone and not even having the decency to say hi or, you know, let me ask them, how was your day and connect, right? That's an important connecting time. And so to me, it's just out of respect. When you're at a restaurant or at our dinner table, there's no cell phones. There's no TV. Um, just, ha- you know, you have to safeguard those times now uh, because life is so, busy. So talk about um, the kickback that you probably got from your kids growing up. No, you know, here's some rules around uh, your phones. Here's some rules around technology. Here's some rules around no sleepovers. So was that a fight? And how do you, how do you just stay hard to your rules. So I think that, um, you know, when there's pushback, I always try to explain the different reasons Mm -hmm. and the rationale for it, which Mm -hmm. helps them to understand. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think when, when you open that door for Mm -hmm. one person, the risk is other people can get hurt. Why, Mm -hmm. you know, was your kid allowed to stay at, you know, their place and not mine? And then the other sibling is like, well, so-and-so got to do it, so why can't I? And then it's a big, so I just cut it off. There's certain things that are easier to just shut down immediately, and they're not up for discussion. Um, Part of that came from my experience growing up. I was allowed to do anything at my friend's house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just wasn't great. Mm -hmm. So one other thing about, like, 
the sleepovers is yeah. just I've tried to have the the whole approach that friends come to our house right. because then you really get to know their friends. Right. Yeah. And they so allowed that's sleepovers big, at your house? At my house anytime. Oh, really? Yeah, pretty much. All right. Oh, that's a good place to end. Thank you so much, Julie, for joining us. Thank you, Aaron. We've been talking to Julie Beck about everything from dating to marriage to raising our kids to sex and everything in between. So thank you so much, Julie, for joining us. And hopefully, uh, for those of you listening, uh, this podcast show has been helpful and served you in some way. Thank you so much for listening to the Village Church Podcast Show. Thank you for listening to the Village Church Podcast Show. You can find out more about Village Church, including ways to support the ministry, at thisisvillagechurch.com.